You know, as, as a new year starts, I know this is a time when a lot of people take on new challenges. And so I thought, as a new challenge for 2021, let's start the year talking about politics. Right? Okay, so, I mean, 2020 is kind of boring, not a whole lot going on, so let's stir things up a little bit. You know, things have calmed down a little bit right now, but two months ago, if you think about where we were exactly two months ago, the political temperature was very hot in, in our country. To the point where I was hearing people say things like, if this election goes in this direction, or other people were saying, if it goes in this direction, I'm like going to leave the country. Like, I'm, I'm just going to move somewhere else. I just don't think I want to live under fill in the blank. And, and so here we are. And, and we know where, where the, where we're headed. I mean, but, but think about what's packed in that phrase, like that I, I want to move. I mean, think about the idea. What's, what's in that is the renouncing of our citizenship. I mean, it's, it's the renouncing of, of a piece of our identity. It, and it flows, I think, from a fear or, or a thought that I'm not sure I belong here anymore. I'm not sure with with the way this administration might take things or the way this administration might th- take things. I'm not sure that I belong in this country anymore. We're, we're, we're now on the cusp of the inauguration, just a couple of weeks away. And some people, as they look at that inauguration, their, their hopes are really devastated because of the way this has turned out. Other people, their hopes are reignited. And so, so here we are. We're, we're approaching inauguration. We're, we're still in the thick of all this political conversation. I, I want us to talk for just the next couple of weeks here about politics and citizenship. And I want to center this conversation in a different place than our media centers it. And as we do that, I, I am really confident that if we grab hold of this, that there is every reason for hope for our future, regardless of which side of the political aisle you, you fall on. So if you would take a Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, that's where we're going to be today. If you listen, if you happen to listen at all to podcasts or messages from the Village Church in Texas, then you're going to recognize this concept for this series. You're going to recognize some of the material this week and next. The pastor there, Matt Chandler, did a series back leading up to the election. It was three weeks long. And I don't often do this. I don't often pattern our series after another church, but I felt like he handled this topic in such a biblical and relevant way that I just, I thought it was worthwhile for us to, to, to visit this in a similar way. So we're going to be talking about dual citizenship. The fact that we are not just citizens of, of this American country that we live in. And some of you may be even listening from, from out of the country. But this week, what we're going to talk about is uh, we're going to focus on the fact that we are citizens of heaven, over and above citizens of earth. And then next week, we're going to talk about how do we be citizens of earth with a heavenly perspective. So let's read. From Philippians 3, starting verse 17. Brothers, 
Paul writes, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. There, there are some people who's, they, they are less tied to their earthly citizenship than others. I mean, some of you are living in this country, but your citizenship, your primary citizenship lies somewhere else. You're, you're here because your job called you here, transferred you here in some cases. Some of you are here because you grew up in another part of the, the world and said, I really want to live in that country. And so you, you came here and you wanted the opportunities that are afforded and you've worked really hard for citizenship here. Others of you have, have married someone and come here for, for that reason. So it's a variety of reasons, but some of you are displaced from your primary citizenship. I, I was talking, I had a conversation this week with one of our missionaries, Nate Corpy, who has a very unique perspective on all of this because Nate grew up, was born and grew up in Ecuador, but he grew up with American parents. He lived in the United States for 15 to 17 years, and now he's in Panama, so he's in yet another country. And his whole perspective on citizenship is so interesting to me because of the fact that he grew up in Ecuador but grew up to American parents. He said there's, there's a name for this. It's called third culture kids, kids who grow up in a home in, in a foreign land, but they're growing up with the culture. So they're growing up in that culture, but they're also growing up in a home, in a house with an American culture because of their American parents. And he said third culture kids have a hard time feeling at home anywhere. And it was, it was interesting. It, it, he said it's hard to feel like he belongs in any particular country. And I thought this was so interesting. He said that where he feels most at home is in an airport because he said in an airport, like he's, everybody is in the same boat, so, so to speak in airport. I'm mixing metaphors here, but there, because nobody lives in an airport except for Tom Hanks, but nobody lives there. Everybody's transitioning somewhere else. And so he feels most at home in the airport because he knows everybody else is on their way to somewhere else as well. And I, I think that this idea this, that third culture kids, they probably have an easier time with what Paul is talking about when he, when he talks about our citizenship being in heaven. And Paul's call to us is to live like our primary citizenship is in heaven. That doesn't mean that we stop flying our American flag. That doesn't mean we need to renounce our, our primary, our earthly citizenship. I, I know that some people right now are bashing the United States. 
they're, they're just saying this is like the worst possible place to be and all of these problems that we have. But I, I would just encourage us to pause from that and, and consider the fact that, that there are a lot of places in the world that we would not want to be living right now. I mean, I think about my conversation with Nate in Panama. So they're living in Panama City. And if we think our restrictions are hard right now in, in Pennsylvania or in the U.S., here's, here's what their restrictions looked like back earlier in the summer, and they're returning to this in, in a few weeks. Men get to go out for one hour a week on Tuesday or Thursday, and women get to go out one hour a week on Monday, Wednesday, or Friday. That's how restrictive it is. That's how much they are discouraging any kind of social gathering. So you go out, you do what you absolutely have to do. You have an hour to do it, and then you get back into your your home. So that's that's pretty rough. And then we could even talk about our, our partner church in Lebanon, Amshit Church, where they were driven out of, they were locked out of their worship space, all of their belongings, all of their, their stuff for their church, all of their Bibles, all of their musical equipment, all of that is locked up. They can't get back to it. They had to start their church over again because the government would not allow them to, to meet. So, I mean, we could go on with stories like that. There are a lot of places in the world that are a lot worse off than we are, and we have a lot to be thankful for. So we don't need to be bashing the U.S. At the same time, we, we don't need to look at the U.S. through rose-colored glasses to think that everything is great and always has been and that we are somehow the hope of the world. That The U.S. is not the hope of the world. The church and Christ's work through the church is the hope of the world. I mean, I'm just, just as a little snapshot of some things that are not right with the U.S., I'm, I've been reading a book that talks about the displacement of Native American peoples in the early years of the United States. And as I'm reading that, my, my blood is kind of boiling a little bit, and it's embarrassing to me to know that in the history of our country, we have been so barbaric in the name very often of greed. And I, I think that we need to be careful to think that all of that is in the past. I, I think we need to be careful to, to not grab hold of the fact that maybe some of that DNA from our beginning still affects us today. We're, we're not a perfect nation. And so extreme patriotism usually has rose-colored glasses on. But the extreme criticism is, is really unbalanced as well. And it really is not helpful. And so Paul offers us a different alternative than either one of those. He tells us to, to look up and to fix our hope above. He says, tells us to live like our primary citizenship is in heaven. Here's, here's what that does when, when we do that. It frees us to celebrate what is great about our country. But it also frees us to critique what is not right about our country and to help make it better. So, so I want to go back and I want to work through these verses in this text. And I, I want to call us to look above in three different ways. To, to a higher standard, to a higher allegiance, and to a higher hope. 
Paul calls us first to a higher standard in verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul, Paul is calling us to follow the example of godly people like himself, people who are striving to follow Christ. In contrast to the current of our culture, it is easy to look at examples of whether it's politicians or you know, media figures of, of all different sorts and take our cues from them and often get drawn into the hatred and the, the vilification of, of people, it's just easy to get sucked into that. And Paul says you should look at godly examples and follow them. There's an opportunity here for us to get something right that so many people around us right now are getting wrong. We're, we are looking at so many people as our enemies. And, and Jesus and, and Paul call us to love our enemies. In Romans 12, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not per- curse them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So I just encourage you to take a look at your social media feed in this regard. I mean, whose example are other people following? Whose example are you following? in the things that that you post. Can I just encourage you, before you go make a post on your your Facebook page or Instagram or or whatever it happens to be, again, we're we're coming into the inauguration. All this stuff is going to get stirred up again. And I guarantee you, you will find some memes that you could post on your feed that would be funny. I mean, it, it's really easy to find something. They're, they're funny and they're cutting at the same time and they just make these jab points and it just, you read them, it's just like, ha ha. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's legitimately like we, we just kind of want to spread that out there. I would just ask you to pray before you post those things and ask yourself the question. If I do this, does this make me someone that it would be good for others to imitate? as Paul is calling us to do. He also calls us to to live with a higher standard, with higher goals. So in verses 18 and 19, he says, Many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is... And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I want to, I want to turn each one of those things. He, there, there's three categories he gives here. And I want to turn each of those around to think about what do they look like if we are pursuing a higher standard? If, if instead of pursuing earthly things, we're pursuing heavenly things. So, so he says in verse 19, their end is destruction. But when we pursue God, our end is redemption. Our end is renewal, transformation. God wants to do a work in our hearts. Their their God is their belly. Our our God should be Jesus Christ and and following him. Not not the, the base, earthly kind of appetites that we have. And then he says their their glory, they glory in their shame. We should glory in pleasing the Lord is is what we're doing making God look good 
and making God happy with us. We're called to a higher standard and we are called to a higher allegiance. Verse 20. But our, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you and I hear the terms Savior and Lord, we we tend to think exclusively in religious terms, in spiritual terms. When Paul is using this term, he's using them as political terms. Just just to give you an, just to give you a thought here, a perspective. At the time of Christ, there were hundreds of gods that were worshipped by the Roman people, and if that weren't enough, Rome introduced this idea of emperor worship. And so now we're called to worship and pledge our allegiance to the emperor. There's an inscription from Ephesus right around the time that Paul writes his letter to the Philippians. And it says this, Julius Caesar is a visible God and political savior of human life. That's Julius Caesar. And so Paul, when Paul is writing this, that's the backdrop for this text. When Paul is writing this, he's saying, Caesar is not your God. Caesar is not your Savior. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. This is actually subversive language that Paul is using here. And he's calling our our view from what surrounds us to, to what is above us. If Paul were here today, he might say, the president... No president should be your God. And no political party will be your savior. Jesus is our savior and our Lord. Matt Matt Chandler said this. This is something to chew on. He said, "We, we should view our politics through the lens of Jesus. We should not view Jesus through the lens of our politics. Let me, let me say that again. We, we should view our politics through the lens of Jesus, not interpret and see Jesus through the lens of our politics. Sometimes we are, we are so apt to align Jesus and cram him into the box of whatever political viewpoint we have. We need to be very cautious of doing that. I was listening to a, a podcast about six months ago from Tim Keller, who is an author and, and a pastor. And he, he said something really profound that I've been chewing on ever since, especially during this political season. He said, as he reads scripture, he understands that Christians, Christ followers, should be passionate about four different issues. They should be passionate about being pro-life. They should be passionate about having a sexual ethic that holds that sex is only between a man and a woman in marriage. Thirdly, they should be passionate about racial injustice and making that right and and looking at every human being made in the image of God. And then lastly, they should be passionate about helping the poor and the marginalized. This is, these are the ethics, these are the issues that Jesus was, was all about. And then Tim Keller makes this observation. You never find all four of these issues being promoted by any major political party. We, we typically find the first two being promoted by con, what we would consider conservative political parties. We, we see the last two 
being promoted by those we would maybe categorize as liberal. And so we never see all four of them together. And so we need to be very careful about aligning the church and our spiritual walk too closely to any political party. The church has to remain outside of that because the church has to be able to be a prophetic voice to speak into the political system of our world, which is broken and is man-made. The, the church has to, can't be too closely aligned to that. We have to be able to be outside of it to be able to speak into it and to correct it where it's unbalanced. We need to live like our primary citizenship is in heaven. We are called to a higher standard, a higher allegiance, and a higher hope. In verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There is no earthly government that can legislate a change of heart, let alone a change of body. That's what we're promised here. Jesus is going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Jesus is all about transforming us and making us new from the inside out. That's our hope. There is no earthly government anywhere that can touch that. And so we await him. We sang about that. When, when In verse 20, we await a savior. That Greek word there is about eagerly, expectantly, on tiptoe, awaiting for Jesus to come. Our great hope is that Jesus is going to come back and he is going to clean house. And he is going to set up a government that is perfectly just, perfectly righteous, perfectly provisional, something that the world has never seen. Revelation 20 describes this. John writing, he says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. This is the inauguration day that we should be looking forward to. This is the day when Jesus is going to do away with all evil and those who perpetrate it. And this will be the inauguration of everlasting peace for those who are trusting in Christ and waiting for his return. So maybe you are listening today and and maybe you have pinned your hope on a government Maybe it's the U.S. government. Maybe it's another government in some, some place in the world that you're from. Maybe you pinned your hope there. Can I just encourage you today to transfer your allegiance from any human government to say, my primary citizenship is in heaven. Maybe today is your day to enter into a dual citizenship. It doesn't mean you're no longer a citizen of an earthly country, but it means that your primary citizenship is in heaven. If you are ready to do that today, that that is as simple as calling on Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm tired of having my hope pinned on someone that has never been able to deliver for me. 
And so I want to pin my hope on you for eternity. If you call on him in that way today, I would love for you to text the word follow to 267-291-0855 because we would love to know that you are entering into that dual citizenship and we would love to help you learn how to become a citizen of heaven, how to follow Jesus. At the inauguration of a new year and a new president, it's a good opportunity to ask the question, where is your hope? Where are you pinning your, your hope? It's a good opportunity for us to say, I, I want to live like my primary citizenship is in heaven. When I was talking with Nate Corpy the other day, he, he ended our conversation with, with this. He said, I, I never quite feel like I belong in, in any place on earth, but it's really not about a place. He said, I feel most at home when I'm doing what God has called me to do. And I thought, what a great, what a great perspective from a third culture kid. May all of us begin to live more like third culture kids and ask ourselves the question, are, are my actions, are my attitudes, are my words in need of a change towards a higher standard, towards a, a higher allegiance, towards a higher Father, would you help us to lift our eyes beyond what we see around us, the, the turmoil, the political turmoil that we see, the, the anger, the hatred, the, the vilification. Lord, help us not to get sucked into that current of our culture, but help us to look to godly examples of those who have set their eyes on following Christ first and foremost. Jesus, we are so glad to be able to follow a king who is always just, who is always loving, who is always wise. And Lord, we do look forward to the day. We say, even so, Lord Jesus, come and be our king. Set up your kingdom here. We want to see you in person. We want to see this beautiful paradise of kingdom that you are bringing. And yet we know, Lord, there are so many who do not know you and are not ready for you to come because they would be amongst the chaff that you cast away. Lord, would you help us in the time that we have to be light in this world, to draw people to yourself so that heaven can be a crowded place under the kingship of Jesus. Lord, for for someone this morning who is listening and is placing their trust in Christ for the first time, Lord, would you would you seal that in their hearts by your Holy Spirit and start them on a path to following you and being first and foremost a citizen of heaven. We pray those things in Jesus name who makes it possible. Amen. Well, thank you for for joining with us this morning in worship. We hope you have a great week following Jesus. And we look forward to seeing many of you in person again next week as we gather at 9 o'clock and at 1030. If you have a pastoral need in the next week, I am Pastor on Call, and I will look forward to, to serving you and walking alongside of you. Have a great week following Jesus. We'll see you soon.